There are a lot of ways that a Christian can describe their relationship with God. <clears throat> the Bible gives us no short number of sort of pictures and metaphors and ways for us to sort of understand what it means to have a relationship with God. And so the Bible helps us out. So, for example, a, a believer, a Christian, can say that they are a servant of Christ. And that would be right. It, it would be to see that Jesus is our master and we are his servant. The Bible calls the church believers the bride of Christ, and that would be right. It's sort of the description of a relationship, the love between a husband and a wife. So it is between Jesus and his body or his people. Uh, the Bible would say that we are friends of Christ, and that would be right. Jesus called his disciples his friends. Uh, the Bible would say that we're disciples of Christ, and that would be right. He is our teacher. We are his students. We are around him. And so the Bible has no shortage of metaphors to try and help you understand what it means for a Christian to have a relationship with Jesus. And, and it's not even just those kinds of metaphors. The Bible even used language about sort of our position near Christ or where we are in proximity with Christ to try and help you understand what it means to be a Christian. So, for example, it would be right to say that we are under Christ. And if I said to you, we're under Christ, you get that, that a believer is someone who is under Christ. That is that Jesus is Lord, he rules, and we are under his authority, his rule and his reign. We're subject and submitted to him. It'd be right, for example, to say that we're those who follow Christ behind him. So he's our leader and our proximity, our relationship with him is that we follow behind him. It'd be right to say that we walk next to him and walk with him and are near him. And, and all of those would be right. But there is one description that the Bible particularly likes and that the New Testament repeatedly uses and employs to try and help us understand the kind of relationship a Christian has with Jesus Christ. And one of the favorite descriptions of the Bible to try and communicate what it means to relate to Jesus is to say that a Christian is someone who is in Christ. That a Christian is someone who is in Christ. That is that he's someone who has union with Christ. It's someone that has been united to Christ. And to be honest, it's that last one that is a bit harder to understand because the other ones seem to make more easy sense to us. For example, if I, if I told you what it is to be under Christ, you could understand that. He is above, I'm under, I'm submitted to him. If I told you what it's to be near Christ or grow closer to Christ, you could understand that, a relationship that's near Jesus. But what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in a person? I mean, that's hard for us to even understand because when we think of being in something, we think of location, not person. What would it mean that God has placed you into a person so that every believer is someone who is in Christ. I read an illustration that I think may be helpful. I told you, for example, last week that this summer my family got to go away. And we didn't just go away. We toured all over the place as we headed for India. And it wouldn't be right to just say we went to India. The truth is we went from JFK to Dubai and from Dubai to Kochi. And from Kochi we went to Bombay. And from Bombay we went to Delhi. And we went back to Bombay and then to Dubai and back to JFK. All total, this summer we had 16 takeoffs and landings, eight different flights. Our kids deserve medals. They were great through it all, right? I have enough frequent flyer miles now to go to the moon. I mean, this, this was our journey. Now, he, here's what I'd say to you. For us to get from where we were to there, if I were to say just sort of the obvious question, 
What relationship would we need to the plane in order to do all that we did this summer? It's an obvious question. It's a silly question. I mean, what relationship would we need with the plane to do what we did, to get where we went? Right? Would it be enough to be under the plane, as in we submit to its authority and its power and its awesome greatness and its ability to fly? Or would it be enough to be next to the plane or near the plane or even follow behind the plane, almost as if we could see the trajectory in which it went, theoretically we could end up where it went? Now, of course, the obvious answer to all of that is no. What we needed to be is what? We needed to be in the plane. It's not just that we could be next to the plane or under the plane or near the plane or with the plane or behind the plane. We need to be in the plane. Why? Because where the plane goes, we go. And whatever is true of the plane becomes true of us. If it goes up, we go up. If it goes down, we go down. Whatever is true of the plane is now true of those who are in the plane. So much so that, for example, when we landed somewhere, I could call the person who was picking me up and I could say, the plane has landed. And that was synonymous enough with saying, I have landed. Or a person could call me and say, has the plane arrived? And that would be the same thing as asking, have I arrived? Because now, as someone who is in the plane, whatever is true of the plane is now true of me. Well, what is true of the passenger in the plane is what the New Testament is convinced is true of the believer who is in Christ. If you are in Christ, the Bible would say, whatever is true of him is now true of you. And whatever has happened to him has happened to you. Has he gone down? Then you've gone down with him. Has he gone up? Then you've gone up with him. Because you are in Christ. And friends, if you begin to consider what it means to be united with Christ, to have union with Christ, for God to have put us into Christ, the majesty of that could fill the mind. What wonder is it to think that you and I, who have trusted in Christ, have been put into Christ? So that what is true of him could rightly be said to be true of me and you now. For example, just think even when we talk about a relationship with God. If we talk about a relationship with God, many of us will say, I want to be closer to God. That's right. If I asked you how many of you want to be close to God, I'd imagine a great many of you want to be close to God. And if I asked you how close to God do you want to be? Now, it's right. If you think of just your relationship with God as a friend with a friend or a husband with a wife or a father with a child, in all of those relationships, you can draw nearer. And the Bible encourages us to draw nearer to God. And yet, friend, what if you took seriously that you are in Christ? And now I ask you, how close are you to God? How much closer, friend, can you be to God than to be in Christ? You see, if if you want to know what's going on with me, you can ask what's true of the plane and it's true of me. So I can say to you, you want to be close to God, how close is Christ to God? And believer, you are in Christ. And it's an astounding thought that if you let it begin to sink in, you begin to realize at your weakest, darkest moment, in your brokenness and your sin. If you are in Christ, you are as close as you could possibly be. Can we relationally draw near to God? Absolutely. But would you let the wonder of the thought 
that God has put you as close as Christ is to him, so you are to him, because you are in Christ. I mean, it might even begin to change the language of our prayer, which is, Lord, help me to realize how close I am to you in Christ. Help me to live in the reality of the closeness I have to you because I am in Christ. Union with Jesus is an astounding thing. And the paragraph that we're looking at today, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, will cause us to consider our union with Christ, what it means to be united to Christ, what it means to be put into Christ. And what Colossians is going to say to us is, here is the reality of your union with Christ. And therefore, here is what's expected of you, believer, because you are now in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. And so here is what's expected of you as someone who is in Christ. Listen again with me to Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If you have a Bible, turn there. We're just going to be camped in those four verses for our time this morning. Here's Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, Brother and sister, if you're listening to those verses, if you're paying attention to them, sort of two commands immediately pop out. They sort of jump out. Here are two things, Christian, that you must do. Two things that God requires of you. In verse 1, you hear him say, seek the things that are above. Similarly, in verse 2, he says, set your mind on the things that are above. So, Christian, here's what's required of you. You are to seek the things that are above. Or to say it a different way, you are to set your mind on the things that are above. So the Christian is one who is to set his mind on the things that are above. So a question for you. A question for you would be, where does your mind go when it has nothing in particular to think about? When it's sort of free to roam and wander. When you're not thinking about anything in particular, what are you thinking about? Where does your mind roam where it goes for sort of comfort and rest and joy? Where does it sort of take you when you just have a time to rest and be at ease? You can imagine what, what sort of is the daydreams that fill your mind because those daydreams begin to tell you a lot about what is at the center of your life. Maybe when, when your mind has nowhere in particular to go, it begins to sort of think of all the possible scenarios of your advancement in your career or your education. Maybe he begins to daydream about the dream possession, the home or the job or whatever you're going to get or, or that relationship that you're going to finally have. And it begins to tell you these are the things that you are banking on in the freedom of your mind. But Paul is saying here, Christian, there is one thing for you to seek. One thing for you to set your mind on. And the force of those verbs, seek and set the mind on, is, is sort of the idea of here's the one thing that a Christian is going to train his mind to constantly gaze at, constantly stare at. 
He's going to turn the affections of his heart and he's going to turn the concentration of his mind to this one thing. He's going to plug in the coordinates of his mind's GPS so that he narrates and dictates the path to where his mind goes. And here, Christian, is the one thing that you are to seek and to set your mind on. That is the things that are above. And why the things that are above? Because the verse says, because that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Christian, here's the one thing that God is calling you to do here. It's to seek, it's to gaze, it's to stare, it's to fix your mind, it's to train your mind habitually towards the GPS coordinates of Christ who is above. A Christian is to seek Christ, gaze at Christ, stare at the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is to constantly train his mind to ponder to consider, to go for rest and comfort when the mind is eased to Christ and to think of where Christ is. He is above. Where he is is above, is seated at the right hand of God. So think with me for a second. What, what a difference that could make. I mean, to think now about the things that are above. What would it be like for a, a Christian to habitually train his mind to go there, where he is, above, seated at the right hand of God? And what, what a feast is waiting for us in just that one phrase. Christ seated at the right hand of God. What a feast is waiting for us if you were to chew on that. For example, the Christian could think to his mind, I see Christ above, seated at the right hand. That means he's seated in glory and power and on that throne. And so when my life feels chaotic, like it's being thrown around and in upheaval and like I've lost total control of my life. What a feast for the Christian to set his mind on Christ, seated on the throne. My life feels like it's falling apart, but he is not panicking. He's not wiping sweat off his brow. He's not biting his fingernails. He is seated in power and glory at the right hand of God above. When I'm going through intense temptation. Oh, what profit it would be for me if I set my mind on the things that are above and sought where Christ is, above, seated at the right hand of God. In the hour of that most agonizing temptation, when I feel like I'm about to give in, what would it be for me if I remembered Christ is at the right hand of God? And I recalled that the scriptures tell me at the right hand of God, what he's doing is he is ever making intercession for me. Intercession as in praying for me. Oh, Christian, what a feast that would be. If you have a, a Christian leader that you really look up to, some preacher, pastor, some superstar Christian, and I told you, do you know that night after night, you know, you, you take Billy Graham, you, you name somebody, Billy Graham kneels by his bed and he prays by name for you. What an encouragement to the heart it would be. Christian, what would it be if you sought the things that are above, set your mind on the things that are above, and began to think, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, speaking my name to the Father, interceding for me, that my name is continuously on his lips, so that when I'm in the hour of most agonizing temptation, what if I sought the things that are above, where Christ is, and remember, Jesus right now has turned his face to the Father and is saying, Father, be with him. Hold him strong. Don't let him fall apart. Sustain him, Father. What a feast if we seek the things that are above and set our minds where Christ is. Or then, in the hour when I have sinned, 
and I've messed up again. And the guilt begins to weigh, and I wonder, is there again any possibility of forgiveness for me? And the accusation and the guilt and the condemnation begins to weigh heavy on my heart. And I begin to wander away from God because I might as well, I've, I've messed up again. What if then I seek the things that are above? And I remember Christ is what? Seated at the right hand of God. And then I begin to recall that the Bible teaches that the high priest in the temple never sat down. He couldn't because his work never came to an end. There was always more sin to atone for, more animals to kill, more sacrifices to offer, more blood to shed. And then the Bible tells me, but there is one high priest, Jesus Christ, who sat down because his work was finished. He was the only one who was able to say, it is finished, it's done. There is no more sacrifice to offer, no more blood to shed, no more atonement needed. I have finished the work. And then I begin to see, in my guilt and shame, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God above. Oh, Christian, what would it begin to do if you and I began to set our mind and seek the things that are above? If we began to see he's on the throne, that means he rules and reigns. He, he rules and reigns, and how that would change things for how I live below. You know, the accusation of Christians is sometimes that they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Right? We've sort of got our head in the clouds. But here, it's the exact opposite. No, if you've got your head in the clouds where he is, then what it does is it produces more resolve for your steps on earth. So, for example, I was in Bombay three weeks ago, and I walked through the streets of Bombay, and I drove through KMP, which is where they work, in one of the largest red light districts in Asia. And as I walked and drove through the nastiest, ugliest, dirtiest, filthiest section, I had this thought that the Spirit of God kept bringing to me, which is Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He rules and reigns. And that means that because he is seated at the right hand of God, his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. And there is day coming when there will be no crack and no corner of the universe where the reign of Jesus is not known. And so every street in Bombay will belong to Jesus Christ. And there will be no lane in KMP that does not belong to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Because the day is coming when his reign will be on earth, covering the earth like the waters cover the sea. And Christian, if you think that, what that does is not make you heavenly minded and no earthly good. It puts resolve in the, your every footstep so that you move to that place and you give your life to that place because you are going to work harder to know this is belonging to Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of God. And so I'm doing now the work that he will accomplish when he returns. I can't wait for the new Bombay. There's a place already called New Bombay. That's not the one. There is a new Bombay coming where the reign of King Jesus is known down every street and down every lane. And that does not make me float in the sky. That puts resolve to my footsteps on earth. Christian, what a feast is available for you if you seek the things that are above and set your minds on where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Or even if I just think, one day, he's going to get up from that seat where he is seated right now at the right hand of God. He's going to get up from that seat to come and, and all that it should make me think in that. The urgency it should put behind how I live now. 
or the hope it should give that this world and its ways will one day come to pass. He will make all things new. Christian Paul is saying, seek the things that are above. Stare at, gaze at, set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Don't drift from all that to now stare here. That's the point. Seek, he says, not the things that are earth below, but the things that are above. It's, it's like we often sing here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, the preoccupations of earth, the false promises of earth, the temporary things that seem permanent of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. A Christian is one who is to habitually train his mind to seek Christ. Now why? Why, Christian, does God call you to do this? Why does he want you to be so heavenly-minded? And the answer Paul gives us in these four verses is because that's who you are now. You are a heavenly person. You are to be heavenly-minded because you are now a heavenly person. That's who you are. That's where your life is. Remember, you were united to Christ so that now when he went down, you went down. And when he goes up, you go up. And where he is is where your life is. So because you are where he is, you're a heavenly person. And so you should have a heavenly mind. This is what Christianity teaches. Christianity is the one faith that comes and says, this is how you are to act because this is who you are. It's the complete opposite of every other worldview and religion. Every other worldview says, if you act this way, this is the kind of person you can become. Do you hear me? Don't miss that. If you do this, if you act this way, if you accomplish this, you can become this. Christianity says, you have become this through no work of your own, so act this way. Not do this so you become this, but because you're this, do this. It, listen, we've said this now at Seven Mile Road 10,000 times. So if you have not heard me the 9,999 times before, would you please hear me right now? What makes Christianity unique from everything else on the planet is that our faith is not about what we have done for God, but about what God has done for us. What sets it apart is that our entire faith is built on what He has done for us. It's not do this and you'll become a heavenly person, but rather because you have been raised with Christ and you're a heavenly person, so do this. And in that, friends, it's the total opposite, if you remember, of what the Colossians were hearing. If you were here last week, we heard Paul in chapter 2, 16 to 23. He was railing against the spiritual bullies in Colossae. And he's railing against them because they're trying to tell the people, listen, you're stuck here on earth. If you do this stuff, that is, if you gain this super spirituality and have these visions and you get into Green Beret Christianity, if you make enough effort, you can have heaven. But the gospel is the total inverse, the total opposite. Because Paul says here, you have been raised to the heavens. So now here's how you are to act on the earth. This is who you are, Christian, so this is why you should seek the things that are above. Here's who you are. Believer at Seven Mile Road. The simplest, humblest, weakest of us. Believer at Seven Mile Road. You 
are united to Christ. You are united to Christ. Would you hear it once more? If then, he says, and the force of that is sort of since, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And he goes on in verse 3 to say, for you have died. Since you've been raised and since you have died. So here's what I'm saying. Paul's saying, it's like what is true of the plane is true of the passenger. And so now he's saying, what is true of Christ is true of you. Christian, hear me. You died in the death of Christ. You were buried in the burial of Christ. You were raised in the resurrection of Christ. You were exalted to the heavens in the ascension of Christ. Whatever is true of Christ is now true of you. When he died, you died. When he was buried and the old life put away, your old life was put away. Your sins with it. When he rose to new life, you rose to new life even to the point when he ascended into the heavens, so you have been exalted, because where he is is where you are, because you are in Christ. The wonder of that. I read a writer who said, could you imagine that every Christian shares a pew with Christ in the heavens? Would you think of that? The Bible says you are seated in the heavens. You share a bench with Jesus in the heavens. That's where you are seated right now. So then, since that is all true of you, Paul's saying, since this is who you are, don't lower your eyes and your gaze to the things of earth. You're there, seated there, raised with him. That's who you are, Christian. So then don't seek the things that are here below. And not only have you died with him and been buried with him and raised with him and ascended to glory with him, but here it also says, but now, verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Not only has this happened when you believed in Jesus, but even now, your life, Christian, is hidden in God. Hidden in God. Hidden is the language that the Old Testament prophets used to use. The psalmist would describe himself as hiding in God. His safety, his security, his refuge was in God. So likewise, every believer, from the strongest to the weakest of us, from the oldest to the youngest of us, from the most mature to the, the least mature, all of us are hidden, safe and secure in Christ. It's as we sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. That is that I've been hidden in Christ and nothing shall ever rip me out again. And moreover, the language of hidden is also the idea of it's inseparable now. Even as sugar is hidden in hot tea, so the Christian is hidden in Christ. You would have an easier time parsing out the sugar and the tea than to parse out the believer from Christ now. You cannot separate one from the other because I am in Christ. I've been hidden in him. So much so that Paul in verse 4 say, and now my life is Christ. Right? Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears to say there is no more this is the kingdom of a jay and this is the kingdom of christ it all belongs to christ there is no more these are my agendas goals interests and priorities and these are jesus goals interests agenda and priorities but rather my interests are now his interests his agenda is my agenda 
My priorities are his priorities. Because I am in Christ. I am hidden in him. He is now my life. There is for the Christian no corner of your heart or life where Jesus cannot point and say, that's mine. Because it is all belong to him. I'm hidden in him. And my life is Christ. The last thing he says is this. Verse 4. And I'd say just this, if you're tracking with me till now, maybe there's an honest question of your heart which says, Ajay, this all sounds wonderful. Somehow you're saying we're up there, but I can't help but feel like my life is really down here. We, we may be seated in the heavens, but I feel my feet really firmly on the earth. And I can't see any of the realities you're saying is true of me. Well, verse 4 comes along and says, not only has this been true when you put your faith in Christ, that you were dead, buried, resurrected, ascended with him. And not only is it presently true in that your life is hidden in Christ right now, but it will be true also. Verse 4, And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's saying to you, Weak and struggling, perhaps saying, hard to see any of these realities. It looks so dim as if any of this could possibly be true. He's saying, listen, what is hidden to you, there's a day coming when it will be revealed. And what is true of you will finally be seen when you see him. And 1 John says, because when we see him, we will be like him. The day is coming, believer. Struggle though you may have right now. Feet in the earth, trying so hard for your mind to be above. This disconnect, sort of this out-of-body experience. I know I belong there, but it feels like I live down here. There will be a day when there will be union of that and there will be no more disconnect. When he appears, we will finally be as he is. No more disconnect between the Christian I want to be and yet the Christian I am. For the day is coming when he will be revealed in glory. And when he is, we will be revealed for what we are as well. Those who are in Christ. I mean, you think of even that, brother and sister. There is no part of Jesus' story that he has held back from you. Would you consider that? No part of his trajectory that he's kept for himself, but rather has included you for the ride of all of it. When he went down, he took you down with him. Dead. Buried. When he came up, he took you up with him, resurrected. When he ascended into the heavens, he took you with him into the heavens. So that even when he returns in glory, he'll take you with him to be revealed in glory. Not even that does he reserve just for himself. But the wonder of it is, when the world beholds the revealed Christ, the world will also behold the revealed you. When he appears... We will appear with him in glory and we will be as he is. Christian, that's who you are. You are someone who is united to Christ. So if you're here today, I want you to hear this. If you don't know Jesus Christ, would you today abandon all your striving to climb up? If you're a good enough person, if you keep enough good rules, if the good somehow outweighs the bad, would you rather go, there's no way you're going to fly into the skies. What you have to do is get in the plane. And then where the plane goes, you go. Get in the plane, brother. Get in the plane, sister, so that what is true of the plane becomes true of you. So what you need to do is to put your faith in Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, God puts you in Christ. 
And then what's true of him becomes true of you. Through no effort, through no striving of your own, you get ascended into the heavens. You become a heavenly person because of what Jesus did rather than what you do. So, get into Christ today. And if you're here and you are a Christian, oh, brother, sister, would you consider the good news that God is telling you today? Would you consider that your identity sitting there right this moment, who you are is not the sum of all your performance. Who you are right now is not your past, nor your present, nor even just your future. Who you are is not the sum of other people's opinions of you or even your opinion of yourself. Who you are is someone who is in Christ. So that whatever is true of him is true of you. Is Christ holy? Brother, sister, you are holy. Is Christ righteous? Brother, sister, you are righteous. Is Christ close to God? Brother, sister, you are close to God. Whatever is true of him, he has granted for it to be true of you. So then, since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. Amen. Let's pray together.